speaking today with Diane Mitz-Bush, former representative for Colorado's 26th House District, also a former county commissioner in Route County, and current candidate for United States Congress to represent Colorado's 3rd Congressional District. Thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. First question is, given the size and diversity in the 3rd Congressional District, what would your approach be to, I guess, representing everyone from places as diverse like Pueblo to, you know, more rural communities like Meeker? I'll represent our diverse, beautiful district the same way I represented Route County as a county commissioner, and I represented two headwaters counties in the state house, and that is listening. Uh, as a representative, I listen to everyone, to all points of view, and I'm known for bringing people together in these listening sessions and stakeholder groups, and that's so important given the vast size and diversity of our district. But even given that, our district shares so many issues and problems. In fact, people that I've talked to throughout the district from Pueblo to Grand Junction, from the San Luis Valley to all the Western Slope Valleys, I name three priorities time and time again. One, as they want me to help lower the cost of health care. Two, I need to help build an economy that works for everyone, particularly good-paying jobs. And third, uh, people want our public lands protected, whether they're ranchers, whether they're anglers, whether they're outfitters, whether they're boaters, whether they're hikers. Uh, people rely on our public lands, and our economy relies on our public lands. Okay, so my next question was going to be about what specific policy proposals you have. Let's say, I mean, you could just go through the three that you listed if you want. Absolutely. First, lowering health care costs has always been important here because our health care insurance costs and our drug costs are very high. But now with COVID, it's really an emergency. We need to do triage. And the most important thing I will focus on is protecting and strengthening the Affordable Care Act. It protects people's pre-existing conditions. It provides coverage for those pre-existing conditions. My opponent would repeal it, and she seems to think that somehow she'll keep that coverage. She doesn't seem to understand that that coverage for pre-existing conditions is a part of the law uh, that the Affordable Care Act uh, represents. Second, uh, the Affordable Care Act also has allowed for our state and many others that wanted to do it to expand Medicaid. And here in Colorado, particularly in the third CD, that's been critical for providing more health care coverage for people. We have a high proportion of people in our district who are eligible for and use Medicaid. Then the third thing is that uh, the Affordable Care Act allows young people up to age 26 to stay on their parents' insurance. This is not the time to be ripping that away. Uh, young people have enough economic uh, and, and stress difficulties without having to go out and search on their own of health insurance. Uh, the fourth thing that's really important, among many others in the Affordable Care Act, is that it provides for mental health parity. It requires insurers to cover both physical health and mental health. And again, in this stressful time of COVID, we have got to keep that, especially in our rural areas. 
So that's that piece. But in addition to uh, strengthening and protecting the ACA, we need to lower the cost of prescription drugs. And the quickest, best way to start doing that is to allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices. For a long time, the VA has been able to negotiate, and their costs are much cheaper than those we see for Medicare. We also have to end surprise billing, and that's uh, one of uh, the points of strengthening the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and in addition, we need to protect CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program. It is really uh, a, a big help to families who make too much to be eligible for Medicaid, but don't make enough to be able to pay premiums for their child or children's insurance. And I've talked to a number of couples uh, who would just uh, be lost without CHIP. Then we need to be sure that we uh, fund our rural health clinics and our rural hospitals. And that's especially important now, I mean, more than ever. And, of course, many of our colleagues in the U.S. House are from urban and suburban areas and may not understand that importance. And that's one of the reasons that I think I can really represent as well is because I know the rural issues. And then uh, we get to the economy. Uh, there are two main things I want to do right away to help create good-paying jobs. The first is an infrastructure bank and investing in infrastructure, transportation, broadband, the electric grid, and water. I mean, those are all uh, such important pieces. And once you start investing, uh, you start to see immediately good-paying jobs. That's what happened with the Economic Recovery Act that helped us recover from the Great Recession. But in addition to those uh, immediate jobs, you have major multiplier effects in communities. Let's take broadband. Uh, right now, many communities in our district have either spotty uh, or, or very bad broadband coverage. And that's, that hurts businesses and it hurts families. And in particular now during COVID, uh, telehealth has become more and more important. And, and it works very well unless you don't have access to broadband. So that becomes important. And also a broadband access is important uh, for education. As young people uh, more and more are learning virtually, those who don't have access are really left behind. So we need to really focus on broadband. Ranchers use broadband a lot, and so do all kinds of small businesses. Uh, so infrastructure development is key. In addition, I propose, as Michael Bennett did several years back, to incentivize and provide low-interest loans for 21st century manufacturing. And that's important throughout our district, uh, but especially in areas where traditional fossil fuel jobs uh, are shrinking. And, and manufacturing can take many forms, of course. One important one is outdoor manufacturing which is absolutely critical throughout our district, whether it's uh, fly reels, fly rods, whether it's packs, whether it's skis, uh, whatever it is, it, those jobs are well-paying. But there's another kind of job that I propose to incentivize and another kind of business, and uh, that was brought to our attention and my attention, especially uh, during COVID. We saw that our medical supply chain is weak at best and that we need to really get supplies from foreign countries. And so we should be incentivizing the manufacture, the production of life-saving medical supplies right here 
and we have plenty of skilled workers that could do that, and uh, it would really help us both economically and in terms of our preparedness for recovering from COVID and dealing with future pandemics. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, our public lands. We rely on them. We've always relied on them for our, our heart and our soul. But during COVID, we've seen so many more people experiencing public lands to relieve some of the stress. And in addition, as I mentioned before, our public lands are a key economic driver in our district. Bills like the CORE Act, the Colorado Outdoor Recreation Economy Act, are critical, both because of what they do, but because of how they were produced. That bill was the result of a decade of stakeholder work in seven Western Slope counties. It included ranchers and outfitters and uh, recreationists and, and county governments and local governments, and they hammered out over 10 years uh, the basic points that would become the CORE Act. My opponent claims the CORE Act uh, is some kind of plot by either Denver liberals or Boulder liberals. She's so wrong. She really doesn't understand uh, these stakeholder processes. That bill came about through cooperation between rural Western Slope counties. Water is obviously a big issue everywhere, but you know, here on the Western Slope, it comes up um, quite often. I guess given future projections for temperature, drought, what kind of things can we do at the federal level to address potential future shortages and mitigate that situation, I guess? That's absolutely critical, and I've worked on water issues for many years as county commissioner. And then when I served in the state house, I uh, served on the interim water resources committee. And during session, I was the vice chair of the agriculture natural resources committee, and that's where water bills go. So I've worked with uh, basin roundtables, and I've worked I was privileged to work with many, many people on Colorado's water plan. At the federal level, there are a number of things we can do. First and foremost, we need to tackle climate change. Many of the things that you mentioned in your question, and I would add diminishing snowpack, uh, all kinds of, of interaction effects between lack of water, uh, evaporation due to high temperatures and dry soils, and then, of course, catastrophic wildfires. All of them are interrelated, and they have a, a disastrous impact on our water supplies. The climate models that I became familiar with during the process of the water plan showed quite clearly that we are going to have to tackle climate change or there will be a call on the Colorado River, which would mean that junior users in Colorado uh, would be shut off from using their water rights. So that's important. Uh, as you likely know, the Colorado River alone, just that basin coming out of our state, provides water for 40 million people to the south and the west uh, via the 1922 Colorado Compact. So it's really critical at the federal level to deal with climate change. It's always been important, but it couldn't be more important now. Also at the federal level, we need to look at uh, what I call the dueling agencies. There are many federal agencies and bureaus that deal with water 
the Bureau of Reclamation, uh, the BLM, the Forest Service. You know, most of our water in Colorado comes from public lands. And, and as I said before, it comes from snowpack uh, on those public lands. So we need to be sure that our interests as one of the upper basin states uh, get well served. There is a renegotiation that is due to end in 2025 of the upper basin states. That's us and uh, Wyoming and Utah and uh, New Mexico. And we, we need to make sure that those new guidelines work and then work for all the kinds of uses, recreational uses, environmental uses, ranching and farming, municipal and industrial. So it's really important that we pull the agencies at the federal level together. And of course, water use at the federal level is also related to firefighting. And again, uh, we have to deal uh, with the issues of fire borrowing and how we're going to use water more effectively. So on your website, you've said that you don't accept corporate contributions. Can you explain that decision a little bit? Sure. Many members of Congress and many candidates for Congress accept corporate political action committee donations. It's often a, a big source of money. I refuse. I have not taken, will not take one penny from corporate PACs, and that's because of the inordinate influence then that they start to have on members of Congress. Money doesn't just talk, it screams. That's a quote from Bob Dylan, and uh, it certainly does at the federal level. Uh, Corporate PACs, whether they're polluters, whether they're those who would change our our water uh, issues, whether they're those who would prevent us from tackling climate change, whoever they are, shouldn't have that kind of influence. With Citizens United, the 2010 Supreme Court decision, of course, much of that influence goes beyond corporate PACs to the dark money groups that were created by that decision. Those are groups that don't have to uh, report at all who gave to them and to whom they're giving. Uh, And to me, that is un-American. We've got to clean up campaign finance so that uh, we don't have a dollarocracy we need to have a democracy where representatives actually represent their constituents, not big money groups. And that's one of the reasons I'm so proud to be endorsed by the group and Citizens United and by several good government groups who I've uh, talked at length with about my positions on campaign finance and on lobbying. You know, I stood up to lobbyists in the Colorado House, and I know how to stand up to lobbyists. And that's what concerns me again about my opponent. Someone with no experience is going to be far more likely to be swayed by lobbyists and by leadership than someone with the experience I have. I was known for standing up to my party leadership for Western Slope Water. So, speaking of your opponent, you've run against Scott Tipton in the past, is that correct? Yes, in 2018. Right, okay. So, your current opponent is uh, quite a bit different from Scott mm-hmm. Tipton. Given that difference, has your has your campaign uh, adjusted in any particular ways? And then also, I, I guess a, a follow-up thing on this is, what do you think this kind of maybe means for the future of politics in Colorado's third congressional district, if that makes sense? Uh, when I ran against Scott Tipton, and this time around, I started running in, in May of 2019, uh, I compiled lots and lots of information on his record, his votes, because many of the votes uh, didn't square with what people here needed. 
Obviously, my new opponent has no record. She has no experience, not at the local level. She's never served on a commission or a board. And she is so extreme and so focused on Trump and national issues. She really doesn't seem to understand our local issues. Some of the things she says are um, simply incorrect. For example, she says she'll repeal the Affordable Care Act. Oh, but she'll keep coverage for pre-existing conditions. That's impossible. Currently under law, coverage for pre-existing conditions comes from the Affordable Care Act. You can't say you're just going to do it with your magic wand. Uh, You have to focus on a bill, uh, and, and neither she nor some of the others like Gardner or Trump have done that. Another piece uh, that makes her very different is that she lies, and she's lied about me. For example, uh, I've agreed to four debates in different formats, so one Pueblo Chieftain, one uh, the public uh, TV station in Denver, the League of Women Voters, and uh, News 9. She has accepted none of them. She out not rejected uh, some, and she just hasn't replied to the others. And I think that's really disappointing. I think we as candidates owe it to the people to participate in debate so that voters can see who we are and what we stand for. Uh, so we've, we've done lots of Zooms, and we're going to do a lot more Zooms that are open public Zooms, and people can ask me questions. Uh, the other thing about her that is very curious is that uh, she seems to want to be a celebrity and she appears to believe that being a celebrity is somehow what you do in Congress. Well, my experience in the Colorado House shows the opposite. People who are celebrities or try to be celebrities are enormously ineffective. Uh, They just don't get anything done because they're so busy being celebrities. It becomes very hard for them to work together. You know, I always left my ego at the Capitol steps in Denver, and I'll leave my ego at the Capitol steps in Washington. Uh, the other thing is she doesn't seem to understand how Congress works. I do, uh, and I, from my experience in the Colorado House, I know that you have to reach across the aisle and bring everybody in to solve problems. Uh, she has said, and this is a quote, I'm tired of compromise. Uh, well, Maybe we're all, maybe she's tired of that. I don't know, but that doesn't work. You have to be able to sit down and listen to people. On the other side of the aisle, you have to really cultivate relationships, uh, in my case, with Republicans. And that's what I did in the Colorado House, and that's what I'll do in the U.S. House. Okay. Um, I guess, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to say? Um, And then also, if you could... I guess after that, just let people know what's the best way for people to um, find out more. And maybe you could also sure. reference the, the Zoom things that you talked about. Um, let me start with that. Caleb uh, does a lot of the work around these Zooms. He's Caleb at DianeForColorado.com. Caleb at DianeForColorado.com. He can send people information about the Zooms, and I invite everybody to attend. I I take questions. They're not orchestrated. It's not, oh, well, we'll just take your question if it's a good one. No, the whole point is to listen to people and answer questions. Uh, So that's really important. Uh, The other way people can get in contact, of course, is to go to my website, dianeforcolorado.com, 
and uh, sign up if they want to volunteer and uh, send an email to info at Diane for Colorado. That's on the website. Uh, and I am happy, uh, again, to do a Zoom with any of the groups that your listeners uh, are members of. Uh, if, if you know of a group or your listeners know of a group that would be interested in having an open discussion, question, answer, uh, I would be more than happy to do that. And again, they can just get a hold of Caleb. And you have his phone number also, but it's Caleb at DianeForColorado.com. If you have any final thoughts, anything else you want to wrap up with? Sure. This election is critical for our future. What we do in this election and what happens in 2021, 2022, is going to set our course for the future. And I want to see a future where everyone has real opportunities to thrive and succeed. I want to see a future where all our children have that kind of opportunity. And the issues that my constituents have been talking about, that is, you know, healthcare costs and the economy, a lack of living wage jobs and protecting our public lands, they're so, so important. And the choice in this election for Colorado's third congressional district on those issues and many, many more couldn't be more clear. We're very, very different. And many times you hear people say, oh, I'm not going to vote. It doesn't make any difference. And it makes a difference this time. And so I would, I would urge people to exercise your right to vote. All right. Well, uh, speaking again today with Diane Mitch Bush for Colorado's 3rd Congressional District, I want to thank you again for your time today. Well, thank you. And thank you for informing the public and thank you for inviting me. Thanks a lot.